So yeah, all that to say uh, our children's church programming is on hold for the summer. New series. I want to look at the book of Ecclesiastes this summer. And uh, some of you might say, well, that's a very depressing book. I, I don't think so. I don't think so. The question we want to answer this summer is, what's the meaning of life? What's the meaning of life? So my hope is that any particular week that any of you or your friends come to church, they're going to hear the deeper meaning of life that we have found in Christ. Okay? That, that, that's my hope. You can come any single week, and whether you hear about the, the, the meaninglessness of riches or the meaninglessness of pleasure or whatever, whatever we're talking about from week to week, you're going to hear that there is a meaning to life, and that is what we have in Christ. So, so that's, I mean, that's where we're going, okay? So, uh, meaning of life this summer. I thought it'd be a good way to start the sermon with some quotes from famous or maybe not so famous people on what is the meaning of life. So let's take a look at some of those quotes. This is Joseph Campbell. I don't know who he is, but he says, Life has no meaning. Each of us has meaning, and we bring it to life. It's a waste to be asking the question when you are the answer. So, so we are the meaning of life. We bring the answer ourselves, individually. Okay. Next, this is Charles Schultz, creator of Peanuts and Charlie Brown and the rest. He says, I don't know the meaning of life. I don't know why we're here. I think life is full of anxieties and fears and tears. It has a lot of grief in it, and it can be very grim. And I do not want to be the one who tries to tell somebody else what life is all about. To me, it's a complete mystery. Good grief. Okay. (laughs) Robert Louis Stevenson, famous author of Treasure Island and other, other classic novels, To be what we are and to become what we are capable of becoming is the only end in life, of life. You kind of hear that frequently, like, it's my personal potential, what what I am supposed to become. It's where I'm going to go in my life, so, yeah. Next, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, I wish I could do a voice like Arnold, but I can't. I can't, so I'm not. So you can hear his voice in your mind. For me, okay? There we go. That's all you're going to get. That's all you're going to get. That's all you're going to get. Life is continuously being hungry. The meaning of life is not simply to exist, to survive, but to move ahead, to go up, to achieve, to conquer. All right, to conquer. All right, Arnold, yes. So, so it's not just about existing, it's about achieving something of note. All right, next. Leo Tolstoy says, the sole meaning of life is to serve humanity. I think Mother Teresa said something like that as well. It's what we do for other people that matters in this life. Next, Eric Fromm uh, says, there's only one meaning of life, the act of living itself. The fact that you're living and drawing breath, that's meaning in and of itself. Next, Thomas Merton says, love is our true destiny. We do not find the meaning of life by ourselves alone. We find it with another. So as we love each other, we find meaning in life. Nice answer, I think. And then, I'm sorry, Douglas Adams. You know, anybody sci-fi fans? Anybody like Douglas Adams? You know, okay, all right, Rich. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Somebody's going to get this then. The ultimate answer to life, the universe, and everything is 42. Google it later. It's okay. It's okay. Rich and I will chuckle to ourselves, and uh, that'll be good. All right? All right. 42. 
That's the answer to the meaning of life. Would you turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1? Uh, if you find the book of Psalms, which is kind of in the middle, you just start going over a couple books to the right. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and you're there. So, find Psalms and move a couple books over. And we're going to do all of chapter 1, but let's start by reading 1 through 3, okay? And we'll deal with the author in a few minutes, and I'm doing that intentionally. Here we are. Um, Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. What does a man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Now right there you have a question that people have asked throughout the ages. Look at verse 3. What does man gain from all of his labor at which he toils under the sun? Gain signifying some sort of profit. At the end of your life, what can you say has ultimate value in your life? That's his question. Under the sun is an interesting statement because under the sun is a, a, a statement of life on earth, okay? So, so throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, I'm going to say Solomon here, even though some scholars want to debate that. Solomon, uh, king of Israel, is saying um, there's this life under the sun. And what he means is, as you look at life as it is right now, just from an earthly perspective, kind of subtract God, subtract eternal things, and just look at life, look around, and ask yourself the question, what gain is there through all the hard work that I've put in to life? That's the question. So under the sun is a statement saying, I'm just looking around from an earthly perspective, and I'm asking, what's the meaning of all this? Now, he is saying in verse 2, it's all meaningless. It's all vanity. Now, This word meaningless or vanity is the word hebel. And as you saw from the title of the sermon, life is like a box of hebel. Um, And I say that because um, hebel is, you could translate it meaningless. You could translate it vanity. What it means literally is vapor or breath. Okay, it's a breath. It's a vapor. It's here. It's gone. Okay, that's what hebel means. So when you read it in the scripture, you have to put it into context. Like, what does it mean when it's used right there? Does it mean meaningless? Because you're going for a figurative interpretation, really. Figurative interpretation, you could say it means meaningless, vanity, without profit or benefit. That's a figurative use of the word. So context meaning, if I say, um, if I say, if I look at those socks that, that you're wearing and say, They stink. Those socks stink. Now, I either mean they smell bad, or I mean there's a hole in them, and and, and that stinks. Okay, that's why I should have said stinks, yeah. So, you wouldn't know what I mean unless you know the context. Usually with socks, we think of smell. That stinks. But I could mean, oh, that's too bad, there's a hole in them. You know, that stinks. I bought some socks a few weeks ago for my kids, and within a week they had holes in them. I'm not kidding you. I mean, it it was crazy. Name brand socks, and that really stinks. Um, 
Yeah. So context defines how the word is used. So when you say, Hebel, Hebel, everything is Hebel, and then he asks the question, what do you gain from all of your hard work under the sun at the end of your life? What do you really have to show for it? What's the meaning behind all of it? I think a pretty decent translation of Hebel right there would be without profit or benefit. Like, what's the point? What's the benefit of this? So meaningless is a translation in the NIV. That's okay. But I think a little more technical you could say, what profit? What benefit? Because in verse 3 he says, what do we gain? What's the profit? It's a business word. What's your net profit at the end of all this? And his answer is, there is no profit in and of itself from living this life. Okay. What I want to do then with the rest of our time together is to answer the question, why is it so hard to discover the meaning of life? Why does Solomon say this is meaningless and, and, and it's hard to figure out? And I want to I um, offer five, five problems with trying to discover the meaning of life under the sun. That is, minus God, just looking at life on earth, trying to figure out what in the world are we doing here. Okay? Look at verse 3 with me again. And let's read this very poetic section. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and he turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which someone can say, Look, this is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. There will be no remembrance of men of old. Even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. Extremely poetic section. It feels wrong to dissect it. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to offer some of the problems that Solomon says. Here's why it's so hard to figure out the meaning of life. This is why we can have a bunch of quotes on the screen on a Sunday morning from different people trying to figure out, what, what am I here for? The first one you see in verse 4. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. Problem number one. It appears that the earth lasts longer than we do. And that seems very, very unfair when you think about it. When you look around and you say, one day I'm going to be gone, but this is going to still be here. Have you ever seen old photographs of the town that you live in? You know, whether that's Three Lakes, Eagle River, or somewhere else entirely. Have you ever seen old photos of the downtown area? I was looking at old Three Lakes photos online from the Historical Society, and you can see old photos of Maple Lake and other, other lakes, and you're just like, oh, it was here long, long before me, before I was even alive. It will be here long, long after I'm gone. And one day someone's going to own my house, and, and, and they're going to be enjoying that. They're going to own your house and enjoy that. Someday someone else will stand here in the pulpit and preach. And there will be a whole different crop of people here. It's going to keep going. And on, on one hand, we might take some comfort in that and say, oh, that's cool that something of value will live on. But in another sense, if you subtract God from life and you say, 
this is all there is, and the earth is going to outlast me. That seems incredibly unfair. Because the earth is like, it's not conscious. And I am. Don't people have more value than trees and mountains? I was reading reading a blog of a British author named uh, Grant Morrison. And he wrote, he's written for some American comic book companies. And he's written Batman, okay? Yeah, I know. Philosophy and Batman go really well together. I know. Uh, And he says, after I'm dead and gone, Batman will still be here. It's like, that is so depressing. Because you're saying a fictional character will outlive me. And that in 200 years, what if they're still reading about the exploits of someone who does not exist? How is that fair? And I think that's what Solomon is getting at. You look at life and you see that this stuff is not more valuable than us. We can chop a tree down and it's okay. But you lose a life and it means something. And yet that tree's going to outlive me? Hard to find the meaning of life in that. And you could take any example of anything, really. I mean, I chose Batman. Uh, you could take Star Wars. You could take your favorite musicians. You, know, you could take the Beatles, you know. Their music's going to keep going. They're still going to sell albums. Michael Jackson still released a new record a few weeks ago. Did you hear about it? You know, it's like, he's gone And his music is still being released and someone's making money on this. And yet, when we go, we're gone. The earth appears to last longer than us. That's a problem. Uh, Verse 5 through 7 talks about nature. It talks about the sun rising and setting. Don't get too worked up about that. Um, You know, some people like to say, well, the Bible's incorrect because we know the earth goes around the sun and the sun doesn't go around the earth. But what do you call it? Do you say the earth rises and sets? Okay, all right. So the sun rises and sets. We, we know that's just a statement of observation from Solomon, not a statement of, of how science really works. That's his understanding of how it worked. Don't get worked up about it. But his point is the sun is rising and setting. The wind is blowing south and north. Uh, and then he says... The streams are flowing into the sea, but the sea is never full. That's verse 7. And and, and he's not, I don't think he's talking about evaporation there. I think what he's trying to say is, when you look at nature, if you try to look at nature and say, okay, nature lasts longer than me. So maybe I can find ultimate meaning in nature. Let's take a look at it. Well, I'm looking at nature, and what I'm seeing is, there's these cycles. Problem number two is, nature is... Uh, 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 cyclical, okay? It, it's on a cycle. Think, think, think of your bicycle wheel turning. The seasons come and the seasons go. The sun rises and the sun sets. Does the sun ever rise and you say, finally the sun's doing what it was always supposed to do? If it just does that forever, we'll be okay. Or, or, or does the rain come? We got rain this morning. When, when, when you woke up and saw the rain, did you say, oh, it's rain this morning. We will never need another shower again. No, you always need more rain. You always need the sun to rise and then to set. There's these cycles. And you can't say, oh, the ultimate purpose of rain has been fulfilled. We'll never need another rain again. No, you'll always need another rain. 
when the streams go into the, uh, into the ocean, they're always going to be flowing into larger bodies of water, and that body is never full, it's never finished. So what he's saying is, can you find ultimate meaning in nature? No. Because you can't. Let me give a very human perspective on that, on the cyclical nature of things. When you're out enjoying nature, when you're out working, you wear clothing. Your clothing gets dirty. You bring it home, you throw it in a pile, and hopefully someone, someone very kind and loving in, that, in your household throws it in the wash for you. Will there ever be a day in your family's life where you will have no laundry to do? Never. It will never happen. I'm sorry. That's bad news. You're right. Ecclesiastes is depressing. I'm sorry. All right? There will, there will never be a day when the laundry is done unless your life is done. There will always be laundry. There will always be dirty dishes. Unless you go out every night, every day. And that's the cyclical nature of things. It never ends. Can you ever say, this is, my clothing is finally washed and I'm done. The purpose for washing machines is accomplished. No, because they're always continuing to run. So, uh, nature is cyclical. I'm not going to dwell on that too much. I want to get into uh, the cyclical nature of our lives. So then, he's like, okay, so, so the earth seems to last longer than us, but if you look at the earth, it runs on a cycle. I never see the, the, the true purpose of all this, this. By the way, he's not saying that, uh, that the seasons stink and, the, and that the sun rising and setting is such a drag. He's not saying that. I mean, thank goodness we have washing machines that have, and dirty clothes. I mean, uh, the fact that I have dirty clothes means I'm still drawing breath and glorifying God, okay? So the seasons are awesome. And, and the sun rising and setting is beautiful. But you can't find ultimate meaning in that. That's what he's saying. Okay, so keep going. And now he wants to consider, how about what we do? Like, what nature does doesn't show us meaning. How about, verse 8, what we do? All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. No one can say, look, there's something new. Now, what he's trying to get at there is, the human desire and human action is also cyclical. Like, like, like we're, just on, we're on the cycle too. We don't really offer new things. And I don't think Solomon is speaking against innovation. He's not saying there's no new inventions. Look, we, we, we created new military technology. We know how to kill each other better than they did back then. But bottom line, we're still fighting wars. And that's nothing new. Maybe the way we do it has changed. But the, the reality of war has not changed. It's not new. We're facing the same old desires, the same old sins. I, I really, it always is shocking to me when someone tries to, to, to act like we have a new sin today that wasn't dealt with in the scripture. I mean, it, it, it's the same old stuff. We might have invented new ways to do those sins, but they're the same sins. They're the same desires that go against God. It's the same thing. So um, he says, the eye never has enough of seeing. This is verse 8. Whoa. Or the ear is full of hearing. Uh, think about that for a second. You ever hear a new song and you just love the way it sounds? And, and so back in the day, you might buy the CD because you just got to hear that song over and over. Or you call into the radio and say, please play that song, right? 
Today you might go on, on online and buy the MP3 of the song, and you can listen to it as much as you want, every day if you want. But how many of you have had a favorite song that you listened to so much that you grew to hate it? Anybody? A few, some of you? It happens. You can listen to something beautiful so much that you grow to hate it. There's not a song out there that you can hear and say, after hearing that song, I will never listen to music again. There's always another song. So you could be a musician and find your, your self-worth in creating music, but you'll never be done doing that. You'll never have the song that gives ultimate meaning to life. You'll never hear that song that gives ultimate meaning to life. Nothing that we do can satisfy us completely. You that fish, how many fish does it take for you to be satisfied? Right? <laughs> well, don't leave on that. I'm sorry. All right, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, had, I totally had to milk that. You that love reading, and I count myself in one of those people, how many books you need to read until you're done? Until you know enough? I'm going to be learning until the day I die, hopefully, until my mind goes. And uh, what will all that knowledge do for me when I, when I, when I die? <laughs> How will all that knowledge do for me when my mind begins to deteriorate in my old age? What's going to happen then? But I still love learning and love reading, and I'm going to continue to do it. But I can't read a book and say, oh, that book, that's the one to end all books. I'm done reading now. That was it. You see how... There's no, pro, there's no ultimate profit in those things. Okay. What else? Verse 11, right? Verse 11. There's no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. There's a day coming when I will die, and my family will gather, and my friends will gather. My friends will take off work unless they're older and retired, some of my younger friends are going to take off work. They're going to attend my memorial service. Then when it's over, they're going to eat a quick lunch. They're going to run back to work, finish the job that day. They're going to go home that night, sit down with their kids, turn on the TV, turn on a comedy, and laugh their heads off. But that was the day of my memorial service. And I will be forgotten that evening. Now, my family will remember. They will continue mourning, and they will think of me, hopefully, a lot. Because that's family. But after a few generations, will they remember me? Will my great-grandkids remember me? More than just by name? It seems incredibly unfair that life has so much value you know, life is precious and sacred, and yet within a few generations, no one remembers what we did. That's a problem in the meaning of life. Okay, now let's look at Solomon for a few minutes, and uh, getting toward the end here. Verse 12. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. 
I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also madness and folly. But I learned that this too is chasing after the wind. For with much much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. That sounds a lot like Charles Schultz right there. Um, Solomon is the author we understand to write Ecclesiastes from from what he's saying. He calls himself the teacher. Some uh, modern scholars think that teacher is actually a proper noun and someone else wrote this calling themselves teacher. Okay? Um, I'm saying it's probably from, from the description itself, it sounds like Solomon to me. He's the one that God came to and said, ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And, and Solomon didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for uh, uh, popularity. He didn't ask for long life. He asked for wisdom from God. And so God made him wise. You've read about Solomon. You know about his wisdom. People came from all over the Israel and all over the world to see his wisdom, to hear it. Amazing. Amazing. And so he studies. By the way, oh, uh, Solomon's got a few books of the, our Bible, right? He's got uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Uh, some scholars think that if you look at Solomon's life, uh, he probably wrote so- uh, Song of Solomon in his young age. That, 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 that's a beautiful book on marriage and sexuality and love. And then uh, he probably wrote Proverbs midlife and Ecclesiastes at the end of life after he'd experienced a lot of things. And you might say, well, didn't Solomon have some problems later in life? He married hundreds of women and, uh, and started to worship their gods. And he did. He did. And perhaps who better to tell us about the meaninglessness of different avenues of life than someone who'd experienced them all. So we're looking at Solomon's words that God inspired and wanted in this book we call the Bible. So, he says, he devoted himself to study, verse 13. He says, what a heavy burden God has laid on men. Men is actually the word Adam. It's, 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 it's uh, laid on the sons of Adam, right? It, it, it denotes our fallenness, you know? We messed up this world. God didn't mess it up. We messed it up. I, I think there's a hint of that right there. That, that God may have uh, uh, cursed the ground when Adam and Eve sinned, but that was because of their fault, not God's fault. So, uh, back to our problems. Why is it hard to discover the meaning of life? Well, we'll check out verse 15. What's twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I think what he's getting at is when you look at life and you see all the problems we have. Poverty. We'll just take that as one example. Have we solved it yet? But we're so smart. We're so intelligent. Look at the strides in science that we've accomplished. We're not there. Because we haven't solved basic human needs yet. Yes, I may, we may know how to prolong someone's life that has been infected with HIV, and I praise God for that, because there are kids in Africa that are getting adopted over here, and they're getting on medicine, and they're living pretty good lives because we have medicine over here to give them. And that is amazing, and I praise God for that. 
but we haven't eliminated poverty yet. Because some of them are starving over there, and that's just basic human need of food. I read somewhere, uh, if you just take what we spend on ice cream a year, we could feed the world. You know, and it's like, man. By the way, that's not an anti-ice cream thing. I've also heard we could take the money we spend on movies and also feed the world. So so we're just picking something random and saying, this is money we spend on us, but we're not there. What's the problem? The problem is, human wisdom and intellect cannot solve life's problems and mysteries. Jesus says the poor will always be with you. So in one sense, it doesn't matter if you give up chocolate for the next 10 years. It doesn't matter if you give up renting movies for the next two decades. The poor will always be here. And we can change some lives when we choose to, but we can't change all the lives. We can't do it. And that should make us pause and consider with all the technological advances of our world, we cannot solve everything. We are limited. So before we get rah-rah over what we've done, consider what we have not done and the fact that people are dying because of it. Okay. Let's say this. Uh, So Solomon at the end here says, the more you know, the more grief you have, the more wisdom you have, the more sorrow you have. You might know more problems and try to fix more problems, but that's going to add to your sorrow. He's not saying don't think about the people in poverty. He's just saying just know, if you know what's going on around the world, it will break your heart. What's his point in chapter 1? If I was to summarize verse 2 in a different way than what he says it, that, that vanity, vanity, everything's vanity, hebel, hebel, everything's hebel, everything's a breath and a vapor. If I was to summarize that, I'd say, minus, if you don't have an outside source, you cannot discover the meaning of life. If you don't have an outside source and you just use your own brain, your own mind, if you look at the natural world, look at people, look at stuff, look at what we do, look at the way nature works, you can't discover the meaning of life that way. It's impossible. It's just impossible. But we have an outside source. We know God. God The name for God in Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon doesn't use the word Yahweh. That's God's covenant name. When Moses met with God, Moses said, what am I going to tell the people when I go back to free them, you know? Who's talking to me out of this bush? They're going to think I'm crazy. And God says, tell them I am who I am. He, He gave them his name Yahweh. That's a personal name for God in relationship with him. This name for God in Ecclesiastes is Elohim. It's, it, it, it denotes God's sovereign rule over creation. God rules. And if God exists both under the sun and over the sun, we have an outside source that can reveal to us the meaning 
of life. And it's only in relationship with God that you can discover it. Here's Jesus' words on it. Would you turn to Mark? Or sorry, Matthew 16, not Mark. Matthew 16, verse 26. Matthew 16, verse 26. This comes in the middle of uh, Jesus predicting his death on the cross. And Peter saying, no, you're not going to die. And Jesus saying, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. And then in verse 24, it says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. Now, Solomon's question was, what did... What gain is there in this life? Right? That, that's, let me read it the way he says it. That would be verse uh, 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? What does a man gain by all that hard work under the sun? Jesus says, What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what could a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Now, if you were to live a self-centered life, saying the meaning of life is all about me, and me doing what I want, doing things that make me happy, and I'm going to live that way, and I'm going to get a lot of stuff, and I'm going to get popularity, and I'm going to be whatever I want to be, if life is totally about you being king, and if you were to gain the whole world doing that at the forefoot of your soul, what do you have left? What can you give in exchange for your soul, Jesus says? Apparently, self-denial and following Jesus' way of the cross is better than gaining the whole world. And Solomon would say, oh yeah, I said that a long time ago. And Jesus is, is saying it in a much cooler way. I love the way Jesus, I'm sure Solomon would say that. Jesus is saying this in just another way. You can have it all at the end of your life. It really doesn't mean anything. But if you have Jesus, you have everything. And if you live a life of self-denial in service to him, that's a life worth living. And then Jesus says, lest any of us are tempted to take Ecclesiastes 1 and say, well, if life is meaningless, I can do what I want. But Jesus says, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each person according to what he has done. It matters how you live now. It matters that you live a life that glorifies God right now. There is purpose in this life under the sun when you add Jesus to it. Otherwise, you are your own king, your own God, and therein lies no meaning. If you are new to the, the church thing, the religious thing, we're trying to say the simplest thing possible, that Jesus came to die on the cross for your sins and mine. If you want a relationship with him, I invite you to make, to, to, to just accept that forgiveness that he offers you. 
you know, today, right now, do it. If you want to talk later, talk to me later. But there is true meaning in life, and it can be found in Christ. Chris, you want to do another song? Do we have time? I mean, we got, we got ten minutes. Let me pray. Worship team, would you come up? Your choice. Thank you. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, thank you. Thank you for giving our life meaning. Thank you for giving us Solomon, who, as flawed as he was, and as much as he messed up that wisdom that he should have gotten right, he, he, he knew. Thank you that we have a book that tells us how empty life is without you. Because, God, we would go on creating our own meanings. We would go on being our own king. And some of us have done that for many, many years. I pray for those right now who have been the king of their own lives and have tried to create their own meaning. I pray you'd help them see the emptiness of that, the hebel in all of that. That they might surrender their lives to you and find ultimate meaning and value in knowing you, Jesus, and help them live for you. In your name we pray, amen.